they're so, so careful. They're really careful about who they let in. You have to have an appointment. They check everything every time you come in. I actually feel safer in there than I do anywhere else I could possibly go. Advances in lung cancer treatments over the last few years have made it possible to live with lung cancer for years after diagnosis. But living with lung cancer during the COVID-19 pandemic is an entirely new complication. I'm Diane Mulligan. And I'm Sarah Beatty. Well, we're learning more about the risks every day, figuring out how to work, get health care and groceries, and see family and friends face-to-face are particularly challenging in the COVID era. This special series of episodes in the Living with Lung Cancer Hope with Answers podcast is designed to help you navigate the new COVID world while living with lung cancer. Lung cancer is a tough topic. It's a disease that affects patients, families, friends, co-workers. But first, it's a disease that affects people. The Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast brings you stories about people living, truly living with lung cancer, the researchers dedicated to finding new breakthrough treatments, and others who are working to bring hope into the lung cancer experience. Lung cancer treatment has changed so much in the past few years. There are now treatments available that work better and with fewer side effects than ever before. These treatments start out as clinical trials, and clinical trials are a challenge during the COVID pandemic. The bad news is that lung cancer diagnoses are down right now because people are hesitant to access health care for fear of contracting COVID. So let's get some solid on-the-ground facts about the importance of accessing lung cancer care including clinical trials, during the pandemic. The good news is that we know there's been a significant decrease in lung cancer mortality in the last several years. Dr. David Carbone, a thoracic oncologist with The Ohio State University, explains why people recently diagnosed with lung cancer have many reasons to be positive as they begin their lung cancer journey. Well, it it gives them more hope for a... uh a long life with good quality as well. And I think that it is tremendous news since lung cancer is is the number one cause of cancer death in the United States and in fact the world, but it's also the cancer with the sharpest declines uh, in uh, mortality. So that's really great news. Wonderful, that is great news. The researchers note that the accelerating decline and you know we can get in there's a lot of you know there's a decline and accelerating rate of decline and there's a lot of weeds that we can get into but really i think the the takeaway here is that this decline in mortality began in 2013 and that corresponds with a time when doctors clinicians begin routinely testing patients for genetic alterations that are targetable by newly uh, approved drugs. So, you know, for somebody who may be coming to this for the first time, can you talk about what a genetic alteration is, a biomarker, um, and what a targeted therapy or what a targeted drug is if you find out you do have a biomarker? So the improvement in in, uh, treatment efficacy over the last decade Uh, for lung cancer has been remarkable and attributed not just to these 
identification and targeting of these gene alterations, but also to immunotherapies. Um, and specifically, every patient with uh, lung cancer should have a molecular profile done that helps assist in selection of these therapies. And specifically for the genetic alterations, we now have uh, six or eight specific genetic alterations that are uh, present in non-small cell lung cancer that will uh, suggest the use of highly um, potent and minimally toxic oral agents uh, that are very effective uh, in, in shrinking cancers and providing uh, prolonging good quality life. So that means that every patient with non-small cell lung cancer should have these markers tested for. And often we find that they are either um, only a subset of them are tested for, or <clears throat> the patient is put onto uh, Joe Random chemotherapy uh, before the results are back. And it, unless there's an absolute emergency in dealing with uh, a clinical problem from the lung cancer, patients should ask their doctors to have the, the genetic testing panel done and should wait until it's back before uh, receiving first-line therapy. That's such good advice for someone. And we've talked about this before, this sense of just emergency. Um, you know, when someone tells you you have lung cancer, that you, you want to do something. But um, to reiterate that good advice to get the biomarker testing and see what it says and then think about what might be the best treatment for that. Absolutely. I think there's a very real and understandable uh, uh, feeling of panic when you get diagnosed with a lung cancer that can't be resected um, surgically. And, uh, but I think if the physician, if an, an understanding physician tells the patient that the treatments recommended are completely different and uh, depending upon these targets, that these targets and knowing these targets and having these great new drugs available um, really has improved survival. And because of the matching of the treatment to the specific tumor characteristics that I've found that most patients are very willing to wait. Uh, and a lot of the um, feeling of emergency uh, that prompts starting chemotherapy right away uh, comes from physician um, ignorance, uh, to put it bluntly, about the importance of starting the right treatment first. It's an interesting perspective. So clinical trials are a main way that lung cancer treatments, like these some of these targeted treatments that you just mentioned, um, make the next leap forward and become um, what's called the standard of care. How do you, as a um, consulting physician, um, help people think through, is this the right is a clinical trial the right choice for me? Is it um, is this one likely to to um, you know be a really the, my best possible option? That's that's a very uh, reasonable uh, approach to that decision. 
but in lung cancer, actually today we have uh, such effective therapies uh, and such high quality review of clinical trials that most trials would not take uh, patients that had better standard alternatives available to them. Um, and clinical trials are the way that we define and test and prove these new therapies. So uh, the way I tell patients about it is that uh, clinical trials today are tomorrow's standard therapies available uh, uh, to them today. The uh, for example, in, in uh, uh, ALK uh, fusion uh, uh, tumors, we have a really good first-line therapy, and that's electinib. Uh, and most people respond. There's durable uh, benefit. It prevents the occurrence of brain metastases in, in most patients. But the fact is, it, it isn't ideal, and the options available after uh, electinib uh, stops working uh, are relatively limited. So uh, clinical trials today are mo mostly focused on trying to improve the efficacy of electinib a, a little bit, but I think more on potentially what to do after progression on these drugs. So I, I think that um, I wouldn't be too concerned about modern clinical trials uh, withholding known effective therapies. But once the known effective therapies are uh, exhausted, people have, may have gone through four or five different types of therapies while they're you know, at this, the point uh, where they find themselves looking at other clinical trials. At that point, then clinical trials are particularly important to um, to consider. But of course, everyone needs to make that, that uh, calculation themselves. And it, clinical trials um, do often involve more visits uh, to the clinic and more intensive uh, evaluations, which in a sense are good. But if someone is coming from three hours away or a plane ride, as, as many of our patients are, that may not be the right calculation for them. Where do you think is the best, um, what's the best source to answer questions about a clinical trial and talk through that? Is it with your physician? Is it a second opinion? Is it, you know, where do you um, sit down and have a really honest conversation about, let's talk through this? Well, I would hope that the patient would have found a physician that was capable of um, going through the pros and cons of the clinical trial uh, with the patient. The details of the clinical trial are um, often uh, most effectively communicated by uh, the research staff at the center. We have a, an outstanding uh, uh, research coordinator group that works with the lung cancer program uh, at Ohio State, and they, they uh, discuss the the details of potential and known efficacy and potential and known toxicities of every clinical trial at length with the patient to, to best inform them. 
But there's absolutely no problem. In fact, it's often a good idea to get a second opinion, see what trials are available at a different institution, get a second perspective on, on what to do when there's a change of therapy being considered. And most of the time, uh, there is uh, a time to get a sec such a second opinion. And it does give patients more comfort uh, in that they're making the right decision. I love that advice. I love the idea that it's, um, and I've heard that before, that it gives you the comfort that if you hear the, the same uh, answer, that you can be more confident in, in the, what you've heard. Um, or if you get a different answer that, you know, you can at least feel confident in accessing more information. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, um, I, I think it's most patients are not trained physicians or oncologists, and they're being presented with complex, uh, you know, acronyms for genes and mutations and drugs that have seven syllables and, and uh, the, the concept of comparative clinical trials is foreign to them. So it's completely understandable that they get bewildered uh, and unfair to them really to, um, to be just offered a, an array of options and said by their physician and say, here, pick this. So usually when I talk or here, pick one of these, Usually when I talk to a patient, I will give options and I'll give pros and cons and I'll come down with a recommendation. I'll say, these are the options. These, the, this is the pluses and minuses of each of them. But um, if I were you, I would pick this one. And uh, then if a person gets a second opinion, that can be reinforced. And if not, then that could open a discussion as to you know, why there might be a difference of opinion. Sometimes there is no right answer uh, as to what treatment to use, except in hindsight. So here we are, the whole world, everyone, every last one of us is dealing with the COVID pandemic. And we know from research that there's been a drop in the number of people who are enrolling in clinical trials, and that drop may be as much as 70%. Um, Cancer-specific clinical trials have averaged about a 30 some odd percent decrease in enrollment as well. What would you say to someone right now who's delaying either diagnosis, they have a nagging cough that they haven't, they aren't going in to get checked out, or to someone who knows they have lung cancer, but might be on the fence about participating in a clinical trial for fear of COVID? It's absolutely true that COVID has affected every single aspect of our lives for the last six months, and it's not likely to disappear tomorrow. Um, I've heard statistics that the, the number of lung cancers being diagnosed in the early part of this year are, are across the country down between 40 to 60% compared to last year. And that's not because of um, this decline in lung cancer that we talked about earlier, but I think it's likely due to the fact that patients are afraid to come in and get checked out uh, because of, um, for a symptom like you describe, a nagging cough, for example. 
but also uh, the healthcare systems trying to protect themselves and other patients by limiting services. Um, uh, our, our hospital, for example, stopped doing screening CTs for a period of time uh, because of COVID. And this delay in diagnoses is, is going to result in worse outcomes, uh, I think, in the next six months because of uh, patients being diagnosed with more advanced disease. That, and the fact that clinical trial enrollment has been limited. Uh, some of our research coordinators are high risk, for example, and had, had um, doctor's orders to stay home and couldn't uh, help us enroll. Uh, some of those trials required uh, blood or, or biospecimen collection that couldn't be done during this uh, period. So this, this is really having a, an impact on uh, our practice and our ability to help our patients. But the fact is, um, the, the blame, as I said, is on both sides, both on the medical profession and the hospitals, but also patients being afraid of coming in. But the fact is that hospitals uh, that I know of, and uh, in general, I think, take extreme precautions to protect their patients from uh, transmission exposure to uh, COVID. I don't know of a single case in our hospital where it's been clearly transmitted to another patient uh, during a hospital encounter. We all wear masks and goggles in clinic. We pre-screen everyone walking through the door. All the patients are wearing masks. So our clinical practice, our infusions and our treatments really have gone on pretty much uninterrupted. And patients should have confidence that they're much more at risk from their lung cancer, existing patients, than they are from uh, COVID in a hospital setting. And they should continue to get the care they need uh, even during this pandemic. I'm more concerned about the, the early diagnosis, the missed and delayed diagnoses that will happen because of COVID. And this is much more difficult to overcome. So I've talked to a couple of researchers. Um, Kelly Smith is one and, and she'll be, um, well, we're talking to her in this podcast about converting her lab to, to a COVID research focus. But she brought up a really interesting point that because COVID is a primarily a respiratory disease, it affects the lungs, um, that her, even though um, clinical, her lung cancer clinical trial had slowed down, um, that this intense focus on study of the lung and study of how COVID affects the lungs might have you know, some sort of payoff down the road that we've got the, you know, not just the best and brightest minds in lung cancer research, but the best and brightest minds in research across the globe. And everyone's looking at the same thing, that the lungs. Um, what do you think about that as a, as a, um, you know, potential maybe um, positive that may come out of this whole pandemic down the road? You know, you, it, sometimes you have to look pretty hard to find a positive aspect to COVID. But I do think that the basic information we get about the in, 
uh, inflammatory and immune response to, to viral infections like COVID and preventing the complications of these infections uh, with targeted immuno uh, interventions really could uh, assist us in potentially preventing uh, immunotherapy related complications. And of course, anything we can do to improve the survival of people infected with COVID is a great thing. And I think the, the application of our best uh, scientific uh, minds to that problem during this period is very much uh, justified. Lung cancer patients and patients on cancer therapy in many studies have been shown to have a higher risk of death from, uh, from the virus infection. And they, these patients tend to have more respiratory um, comorbid conditions of COPD and emphysema and those kinds of things. So it's uh, COVID research is not just relevant to uh, antivirals, but is relevant to lung cancer and lung cancer therapy as well. So it sounds like bottom line here, if someone is concerned about, if they know they have lung cancer, they're concerned that, that something's wrong, something's not right, that your advice is your outcome is going to be better, you're, you're um, potentially better, by getting in and getting it checked out and understanding what it is that that is wrong. Absolutely. I think the the medical profession has pretty much figured out how to keep patients safe uh, when they're uh, being evaluated. And I think patients should as much as possible and as as much as is allowed in the in their current medical system, you know, check out things that could potentially be serious, get their screening evaluations as allowed, uh, and um, go through with their treatments and their clinical trials uh, as, as much as possible in a normal way, but in the same time, protect themselves and their, the people around them by taking the appropriate precautions. Well, that's great advice. And I really am so grateful for your time today. Um, I know that you are wildly busy as, as always. So I appreciate you joining us on the Hope With Answers podcast. Well, it's, it's a real pleasure to uh, talk to you. And um, I'm very glad that you are bringing these issues to light, which um, hopefully will um, reassure cancer patients that there's hope for them in the new therapies that they're and even during this COVID pandemic, pandemic they um, can con continue to get the care they need in a safe manner. We always love talking to Dr. Carbone because he is always so thoughtful and reassuring in his approach. Yes, absolutely. And up next, we'll chat with an inspiring couple who share their strategies for managing her KRAS-positive lung cancer care safely during the COVID pandemic. The Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast is produced as part of LCFA's mission, raising the public awareness and serving as a resource for patients or anyone seeking answers, hope, and access to updated treatment information, scientific investigation, and clinical trials. We're all learning how to live, work, 
see friends and family, and access the things we need during a global pandemic. It's a challenge in the best of circumstances. For people living with lung cancer, the stakes couldn't be higher. They must avoid contracting COVID. And they must access health care to stay as healthy as possible. So let's check in with a couple facing lung cancer care during the COVID pandemic head on. Wayne and Rebecca Young live in the Bay Area where he takes an engineer's approach to managing the medical care decisions for Rebecca's KRAS positive lung cancer. So maybe Rebecca, you can start us out with just telling us about your lung cancer journey. How did you, um, you know, how did you know something was wrong? How did you come to be diagnosed? Um, the funny thing is, is like so many others, I had no clue that I had uh, anything wrong at all. And even after I got the diagnosis, I, I was shocked because I couldn't believe it. And I went and got an x-ray for something altogether different. And they said they saw something and could I come back? And so we did more testing. And then they said I had cancer and I was, we were in the room and we were looking at each other like, like they must've got the wrong person. <laughs> There's no way, you know, like as I, we're avid hikers and we had been, we'd just been to Machu Picchu and uh, did a you know, four day hike and we did so much, so many things. Like I wasn't affected by um, cancer at all and nor would I have thought I would have it. I guess everyone feels that way, but. Yeah, yeah it was really, crazy because I think even the the pulmonologist when he biopsied that her lung came and kind of made a remark that you know oh I think it's just a fungal infection or something else and so yeah. we were not prepared we were for a cancer diagnosis yeah. that's such a common um experience you know we have we work with a number of lung cancer patients and I'm trying to think of a one of them who said, oh yeah, I knew what it was. I really suspected it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, like so many others, we're in the same ballpark. And then of course, you know, when you first get um, told something like that, your mind goes immediately to, I'm going to die of lung cancer because that's what we've always heard, that that's an immediate death sentence. There's a lot of people living 10 years plus with stage four lung cancer? Really, is that possible? You guys are so interesting. Um, th this is the first time that I have talked to a couple um, and we know that lung cancer, cancer of any kind, but lung cancer is, is you know, the, the folks that we talk to, the whole family is always involved, you know, and, and the support systems are so significant. But this is the first time that I've talked to a couple and you guys have such a, a divide and conquer, a great partnership for how you handle this. Can you talk about that for a minute? Well, I'm an engineer by training. So I, I'm more used to doing the research and vetting things and, you know, making choices. And so I figured that I would take that part of the I don't even know if we even had a discussion about it. It just, it happened that way. Like he just took charge of, of all the things that there was no way in the world I was gonna be able to wrap my head around. Um, and, and thank God, you, <laughs> you know, know, cause 
He's done such a great job. <laughs> it's, it's difficult because, you know, someone who has a fresh diagnosis is just like learning a new language, really multiple is. languages, in fact. And, you know, she was able to, you know, make connections and, you know, go to different support groups and, and can, you know, and see things from that area, well, you know, talking, talking to, people. to people and being a part of groups and things. And I'm more like the, you know, the, the geeky things and trying to figure out what treatments are available and how to, to do more of the, the management and the insurance and then all of these other- Which is a big deal. The crazy <laughs> oh, thing. it's a full-time job, my goodness. Yeah. Just the insurance alone. I just get the sense from you both that this is such a partnership. And um, I think that it's, you know, a partnership emblematic of what so many couples or families go through where, um, you know, you really, the person living with lung cancer has to really focus on living and, and getting through each day and looking forward and how they feel and how they're coping. And then somebody has to, to dive into all of the research in the background and what should we do in the treatment options and yeah, what's coming up and if there's something coming up, what trials are coming up, what, what are our options? What are our best options? You know, um, will we have to travel? Will we have to move somewhere? And we've considered those things so many times over and over again, each time when we don't know, we consider everything. And I um, know that all those, all those things are, are options for us that we will do. And my husband's totally supportive of, of doing that, which I can't even tell you how wonderful that makes me feel. I, I know that I can do any of those things um, to survive, to live through this. And, um, and, and he wants to do them too. So even though you're not eligible for the current clinical trial that's happening, um, talk about the importance of research you know, for somebody who, who doesn't understand how lung cancer works or doesn't understand how lung cancer targeted therapies or drugs might work, why is research so important to, to you right now, even though there isn't a clinical trial that works for you right now? I've been doing this for three years now, and, and it's come to this point where the drugs that I've been taking are no longer working. And so we are trying to find something that is that will work, um, so we don't have to stay on the same same things that aren't working. So that's basically the reason why we're so interested in trials. And Wayne, you have such a—I mean, as you mentioned, you're an engineer, and I think it's really interesting your approach to uh, evaluating a clinical trial. If you're interested in trials, you know, we actually were during this COVID time. We managed to reach out to three or four different providers, you know, starting with the clinicaltrial.gov website, finding out contact information, and uh, all of them have been so uh, helpful in setting up virtual tele, you know, appointments. So this is something so new, right? Previously, you would have to go to everything, you know, every, every ho you know, hospital or so wherever. What a good point. You've been using your COVID downtime well. Right. And so now you could go and have a video visit with somebody in San Diego, at Irvine, or wherever. And 
they're very accommodating and they could, you know, take you through the process and, and you could just start your clinical trial research there yeah. and, you know, as a first step. And how are you feeling? You mentioned COVID a minute ago, um, which has just upended everything for everyone and especially for people who are immunocompromised or who may be participating in a clinical trial or maybe getting access and care right now. How do you feel, how are you functioning and managing your, your lung cancer care during COVID? So for me, and I've heard really terrible things for other people, but for me, my experience has been really awesome. They're so, so careful. They don't let, they're really careful about who they let in. You have to have an appointment. They check everything, your temperature, your, they give you hand sanitizer, or fresh mask every time you come in. I actually feel safer in there than I do anywhere else. Like anywhere else I could possibly go, a grocery store. They're are very careful at Trader Joe's too, but you know, I just, I do feel safer at Stanford. Um, they're very careful. Um, I feel comfortable. I feel like they're always cleaning. And um, so I, I feel good about going there and getting treatment. I don't, um, I don't, um, I'm not scared at all. And, and outside of that, I stay home. Um, for most of this COVID experience, I've been home and isolation for the most part. We have a small group of friends that we do things with. Um, who also have some medical conditions as well. So we're all very careful. I still feel like connected to, you know, a group of friends. My, I still see my mom and my auntie and um, my dad and that's nice, you know, that helps, so. Yeah, I, I don't think that the level of care has diminished uh, and with the extra precautions that they are taking, I think it's very safe. Yeah. It sounds like you have figured out a way to make it work and continue accessing care safely and, and maybe most importantly, continue to have those relationships that um, are so important, you know, that are meaningful and fulfilling when you're, um, you know, really going through a challenging time. So I'm so pleased for you. Living life is the most important thing. I mean, if you're not living life, how depressing, you know, and, you know, during this time, I know that there's a lot of people going through horrible depression with, with all the things that they are not getting and the elderly, especially, but um, for people living with lung cancer, I can see how they'd be so scared to leave the house and not let anyone, but you, you got to find ways of doing it. And um, we've, we've been able to do that. And I would say that we're lucky in that, uh, where she's being treated, uh, she has access to all of the personnel uh, via email or, or communication. And so, so quickly, I encourage anyone who has that access to, to reach out and they answer very quickly yeah. within an hour or two. And so if you feel a certain way, just reach out and you should be able to, you know, get your questions answered. Well, what a wonderful advice, and um, I appreciate both of you so much taking the time today. I um, think this is really helpful information for people who listen to the Hope With Answers podcast to tap into, so thank you so much. 
Rebecca and Wayne share some wonderful perspective about getting needed medical care during COVID, as well as how they're looking ahead to potential clinical trials for her KRAS positive lung cancer. We're so grateful they could join the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. Thank you also to Dr. David Carbone of The Ohio State University for helping to unpack the good news about dropping lung cancer mortality rates and the importance of participating in clinical trials, even during COVID. Join us next time for another in-depth look at how the latest cutting-edge lung cancer research is helping people live longer, healthier lives. Make sure to subscribe to the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. You'll be notified every time a new episode is available. So visit us online at lcfamerica.org where you can find more information about the latest in lung cancer research, new treatments, and more. You can also join the conversation with LCFA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.